Hey everybody, welcome to the Apple Taco Podcast. This is episode number 34. Willow, what's going on, man? I haven't actually talked to you very much lately. You, uh, you were MIA for the the uh, interview that I did. Not an MIA, just busy, just busy. Yes, busy. But I had to go solo. It felt weird. I didn't like it. Yeah, I bet. Not the interview. Probably. The interview was actually really good, but uh, missed having you there. And for the listeners, who was that with? Nice little uh, dabble. Uh, Jonah Tong. Uh, New York Mets minor leaguer, young guy, 20 years old. But, um, you know, I got, a, I got a chance to watch a little bit of video on him, like huge upside and a lot of potential and a lot of room for growth. So like very exciting. And, and honestly, maybe the nicest guy that we've talked to, like just so, you've so talked innocent to. that I've talked to. So innocent. So like, yeah, just like a, a really good, and I'm going to call him a kid. But yeah, just uh, it was a good one though. It was, it was pretty cool. He was in, and and our listeners will hear it. He was in the hotel, the team hotel down in Florida. You could hear like the Latin guys in the background and everything. So it's actually kind of <laughs> it's funny. awesome. So we, we we talked a little bit about that, but really good interview. Really enjoyed it. So I'm, I think everybody will like uh, listening to that. But why don't we get into our our intro stuff here, man? Number thirty four. Okay, this is kind of cool. Okay, Hall of Famers, Raleigh Fingers. Mm-hmm. Yep, Big Poppy. Kirby Puckett, rest in peace. And the guy who I always think of at number 34, the one, the only, Nolan Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Now, how about this? There was a guy on Baseball Reference whose name was Soup Campbell. <laughs> Soup Campbell. His given name was Clarence, but I was like, I got to add in Soup Campbell. Can't leave number 34 Soup Campbell out. Uh, more present day guys with the Nationals. Bryce Harper was number 34. Mm-hmm. Guy who's going to be on the Hall of Fame battle next week, Felix Hernandez. Dave Stewart, an A sensation. Loved loved watching him pitch. Just intense. Uh, cult hero, Fernando Valenzuela. And Kerry Wood, the author of a 20-punch-out game. And guys, last year, Michael King, pitcher for the Padres, who's included yep. going back in the Juan Soto, Soto team, trade. Right? Yep. Aaron Savali, guy I like Massive hammer and a good curveball. <laughs> Noah Syndergaard, War 34. Kodai Senga, and I gotta mention Kevin Gossman for mm-hmm. our Toronto Blue Jays. All right, 1934 season. This is this is getting out of hand, man. The MVPs. Okay, for let's start with the National League. We got a pitcher. Not too shabby. Dizzy Dean, St. Louis Jeez. Cardinals, goes 30 and 7 with a 266. And 195 punch outs to lead the league. He had a 9.5 war, which also led the league, the National League, that is. Okay, here's where it's like, what are we doing? The American League. Some guy named Lou Gehrig wins the Triple Crown, hitting 363, 49 bombs, 165 RBIs with a 10.1 war. But does he win the MVP, Willow? No. Oh, no. Oh, contraire, ma frere. He's actually fifth. In MVP voting. The winner is Mickey Cochran of the Detroit Tigers, hitting 320 with two jacks, 75 RBIs, and an 840 OPS. I don't I, I would love to be back in the day and know like what like you know how, how this happens. I mean corruption, maybe? Yeah. I don't something. know. This is the first thing that comes in the mind, right? Like mm-hmm. is there money being exchanged here? I don't know. Like I, I did read somewhere that at one point, I think it, I want to say it was maybe it was Garrick, Ruth, I don't know who, but they were like, 
sick of voting for the same guy. It's like voter fatigue. It'd be like voting for like Otani over Every and over single, year yeah. after. It's like, all right, let's give it to somebody else. So I get it, I guess, to a certain extent. But Lou Gehrig getting fifth in voting? No, that's not going cool. to be. That's going to be the only Triple Crown never to win an MVP, right? Oh, you think? I wish, I wish I had the answer for that. I'm going to uh, say yes, just going off judgment. It might be. And Heine Manouche hit 349. There you go, Heine. My guy, Heine. Of that year, April 8th, the Philadelphia Phillies beat the Philadelphia A's 8-1. to Why is this significant? Because it was the first major league game to be played on a Sunday. Mm. Interesting. On July 4th, okay, how about a day for Satchel Page of the Pittsburgh Crawfords? He goes ahead and he goes ahead and throws a four nothing no hitter against the Homestead Grays in Pittsburgh. Pretty good day. Let's top it off by heading around over to Chicago and go shut out the American Giants one nothing in twelve innings. Two shutouts, two different cities, one day. Wow, old Satch. unheard of, old Satch. Yeah. On July thirteenth, Babe Ruth hits his seven hundredth home run to found the 700 home run club. He'll be the only member of the club for almost 40 years. On October 9th, in Game 7 of the World Series, the St. Louis Cardinals defeat the Detroit Tigers. Unfortunately, it wasn't a close game at all. They win 11-0 to win the title. And this is pretty neat. On December 26th, Japan's first professional team, the Yomiuri Giants, was formed. It's mostly made up of players who played um, the American All-Stars who toured Japan. And that was those were the, the players who kind of comprised the team. On this day, February 21st, in 1968, Major League owners and the Players Association signed the game's first ever basic agreement, which is kind of relevant based on our interview last week with Garrett Brushhouse. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting that this kind of came up on, on the uh, the calendar now. Following year, 1969, Hall of Famer Ted Williams signs a five-year deal to become the Washington Senators' manager. Pretty cool. In 1985, Tim Raines wins his arbitration case for $1.2 million, making it the largest decision to date. But a mere, what are we, 23 years later? Ryan Howard in 2008 um, wins his arbitration case for $10 million, making it kind of the new record on this date. And that's kind of cool because we just saw Vladdy Guerrero win his arbitration case not too long ago to set a new record. I think it was 19.9? 19.9, yeah. Yeah, pretty neat. And births. 1958, Alan Trammell. And 24 years ago, your teammate, Willow, Bo Naylor. Oh, there we go. Happy birthday, Bo Naylor. We'll have to fire him a message. Yes, sir. And that's going to do it for your 34 stats and, I guess, significant dates and everything. Why don't we go into our quick hits? Well, it's uh, it's happened already. What I always fear, what absolutely sucks, pitchers have started to go down already. So the first one was Verlander has a shoulder, quote, hiccup. What does that mean? (laughs) I have no idea. But he's slowed down his pace anyway and hopefully starts a season, you know, I haven't heard that he isn't or is, but, you know, I just, any big studs like that, I don't like 
them on the aisle. It's like DeGrom. I don't want yeah. DeGrom on the aisle. Well, especially with Verlander's age, too, right? He's not a young buck anymore, so. It's not going to bounce back quite as quick. No, exactly. I know the feeling. I'm still hanging from last May or whatever it was, March. <laughs> the Orioles. This one was like a gut punch to me. I mean, as a baseball fan. As a Jays fan, it's like, yes. But as yeah. a baseball fan, two guys, man. John Means, that one, he's starting the, the season on the IL that's been said. But the other one, Kyle Bradish. And the one you hate to hear is the UCL sprain. He's going to start the season on the IL. So I was like, okay, great. But then I heard him say, or as quoted was saying, or somebody was quoted saying that he hopes or he thinks he'll be able to pitch this season. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So this yeah. goes from a starting the season on the IL to a pitching. Well, yeah. Hoping to pitch this year. Well, it's, so a, it's that, a tough one to deal with UCL at the start of the year, right? Because that's something that's, again, even if it is feeling good, it's like one physically, right? You, you, you know what's there, but mentally it's like having that in your head of that UCL spring, not one to overdo it. And both, not only him, but, you know, managing him to front office, it's uh, it's kind of an iffy one, right? You got to be careful with them and kind of treat them a little more fragile. So, yeah, not great start the year for the Orioles. No, and he had a breakout year last year and everything. And I was I was so excited about John Means, too. He, yeah. I think he came back at the very end of last year. But this is a dude that I watched a couple of years ago or whatever it was, and he was like a bona fide ace. Yeah. So now with those three, Bradish kind of established him as an ace. If he can repeat it, I guess to be determined, but no reason to think he couldn't. Means comes back and then they got this guy, Corbin Burns, maybe you heard of him. Like unreal, like what they were doing this offseason. So are they going to try to replace him? I mean, there's talk of like Dylan Cease is still out there. Well, I shouldn't say still out there, but for trade, trade bait, yeah. you know, the White Sox are, off, are open to trades anyway, so... Will they try to do it? But I don't know. I hate to see it though. Sucks. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays get their guys, man. Two guys, Eduardo Escobar. But where they really tip the scales is with Daniel Vogelbach. I love it. I just love watching him play. So I was actually, although like not a great sounding, I think hey, he's just a fun guy. There's a lot of stuff on you know <laughs> I'm social sure media, he's super memes fun. and stuff. So. I'm looking forward to seeing. Have you him heard? Play. Seen the one? It's terrible to say. Have you seen the one? Actually, no. I think it's Schwarber. I was thinking it was Vogelbach, where he runs the bases and it's like what I imagine it sounds like, and it's squish, squish, squish. squish. Yeah, yeah. That's Schwarber. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it were Vogelbach though. But it's uh, I don't. What are what are what are our Jays doing? Yeah, I don't know. The DH spot isn't something that's you know. I think they're not going to have a problem with this year. I think if anything, it's going to be like who you know getting them in that spot. So I don't know. I thought it was a little weird signing too, but you never know. I mean, they're both minor league signings. Yeah. Normally we don't really talk too much about minor league signings here, but I guess we're, it's a little bit hits close to home for us being our hometown team. Home yeah. I saw, team. I saw a video yesterday of uh, JT uh, Escobar and IKF taking ground balls at third base. So I don't know if that's just, you know, something that, you know, it's just who's on field three at that time or whatever, but <laughs> That was what I saw. So I mean, let's be honest. They got the the personnel to be able to flip flop them all over the infield, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, last I saw, I think I saw Davis Schneider was projected as the starting second baseman. That's what I saw as well. So um, we will see though. But they they do have options, which is never a bad thing. So I'll give them that. And Eduardo Escobar, if he's, I mean, is he going to take a minor league assignment or or is he? I, I don't know the answer to that. If he doesn't make the squad. But, I mean, yeah, if you had to put him in at a pinch, yeah, he's, at least he's 
should be reliable anyway, right? All right, your guy. Your guy signed. The Phillies. The Phillies got Whit Merrifield. One year, $8 million with a club option for 2025 for an additional eight. Like it? I love it. I, I, I don't know. Like, I see real good value in eight mil for Whit Merrifield, a guy who can play multiple positions, uh, good contact bat at the plate. Um, I mean, he ha- he, he's a little slow at the end last year, but he had a good year last year. Like, he's, he's a solid player, and I don't know. I, I think the Phillies is a great fit. I, I think we talked about it, you know, months ago of, with him, where he's going to land. And um, I think one thing I said was, like, a, a team that's a contender where – uh, you know, he may not start every day, but it's a guy that you can kind of plunk in wherever. And, you know, he, he runs decent, good good runner off the bench, um, can play defensive positions, not just, you know, mm-hmm. he's not just pigeonholed at one spot. So I like it for the Phillies. I think that's a great piece for them moving forward. So, um, yeah. He's versatile. Really versatile. A little unfortunate I won't be seeing him in Blue Jays uniform again. Okay, but, so uh, this is where I had a problem, man. I was like, yeah, good for him. And I was like, what a steal, I think, for the Phillies, especially having a club option for the next year. Okay, so would you rather have Whit Merrifield or Kiner Falefa? Whit Merrifield, for sure. Okay, so basically their contracts, you've All got right. yeah, you've got IKF for two years, $15 million. You've got Whit Merrifield if if you pick up the option two years 16, 16 million dollars yeah and even just to have that option for next say sucks okay you don't you don't pick up the option fair enough but you've got one year eight million and then it's like okay yeah he's worth it for the second year and then you do it and if not then you're you cut bait and you're you're done like what yeah freaking steal yeah like ah sure. oh. that one kind of like it was like kind of yeah yeah didn't sit well with me with the Jays and what they were doing. And, and, and who knows? Maybe Witt didn't want to come back. Maybe he yeah, was over what the I was Jays. Thinking too. Crazy, though. Good signing for the Phillies. And good for Witt, too. It's a good team. Uh, this one's good for me. I like this one. There's a lot of kind of um, backlash on this one, maybe. But the Giants signed Pablo Sandoval as an on-roster invitee. I know he probably isn't the player he was 10 years ago or whatever. Um but I'll tell you what, I, I, from a personal standpoint, he's a fantastic dude. I love Sandy. He's like a big teddy bear mm-hmm. and just the nicest guy. So I can just imagine what he's going to be like in that clubhouse. Um, everybody's going to love him. Now, does that make your team win? No. But will he be a good, you know, almost like a player coach? Not a doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of kind of cool, but uh, you know, and I part of my thinking is that he wants to, you know, he's he's been. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or anything. I do. He's got a lot of training videos and everything of him like getting back in shape and everything like that. And I think part of it is because he was part of that baseball United, right? So if he's going to go over there at the end of the season, then he wants to play this year to go over there, like all those types of things. But good for him. He's thirty-seven. He's not over the hill quite yet, but he's on the tail end. He's on the back uh, back nine. Yeah, back nine for sure. Brewers sign Brandon Woodruff. This one kind of came out of nowhere. I feel two-year deal. Um, I had not seen the financials when I saw this. The financials hadn't been reported. Um, but he's out for this year. He's going to be on the IL for the year. So it's really, you know, signing him for the twenty twenty-five season. I was a huge. Brandon Woodruff fan. Enough yeah. where I went and picked up uh, one of his rookie autos or something like that. Well, There you go. But um, him and Corbin Burns together were like... No, I thought that was a good pairing as well. I uh, like that. Maybe the best mm-hmm. in baseball when they were both dealing. 
I would agree. And then you had Freddie Peralta as number three as like maybe the best trio in baseball. Yeah. So he's back there. Red Sox sign Liam Hendricks. Um, two-year, $10 million option. Or sorry, two-year, $10 million with the possibility of earning up to $20 million with incentives. Kind of a big pickup for them, I think. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, I, I was kind of doubting the Red Sox. Was actually, even today, I was looking over their yeah. roster a bit. And, like, I think they'll be, I mean, at least a middle of the pack team. And, again, AL East is just going to be another Haas. Yes. But, um, yeah, I think good signing for them for sure. I did the same thing. I looked at their lineup and I was like, okay, it's not as bad as what you would think or like I had anticipated or whatever. Um, hearing kind of a, a lot of negative talk about them and their offseason, but um, it's not too bad. I'm okay with it. I really like Brian Bale. The, yeah. yeah. I really like him. I've liked Big him, I liked him before. Year. Well, I had him before last year too, and he, he dealt last year. He threw really well. So um, <clears throat> hopefully. I don't know. Hopefully they do well. Can I say that as a Jays fan? <laughs> you can't. I can't. Hopefully they suck. Young Jin Ryu. He signed, but not with a major league team. He's going back to the KBO, man. He's going to the Hanway Eagles. And On the uh, highest contract ever, too, I think I saw. Yeah. So, uh, again, I saw a rumored number. I want to say it was $12.4 million for four years, but it wasn't confirmed. So, let's assume that it's around 12 to $13 million. Uh, yeah, largest contract in history. So, good for him going back home, I guess. And, uh, you know, whether that was because where he wanted to be or he just didn't get offers that he wanted here. I wonder if there's an opt-out clause. I wonder if he's got something in there where it's like, okay, but if somebody wants me... I'm heading out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, he's 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 on the you know he's older guy now. I I, I understood it when I saw it. it. Didn't really catch me off guard knowing you know older guy going back to play in the homeland. Um, again, when he was there before, he dealt right. Yeah. Um, put up disgusting numbers. So I think it's good for him. He's got to be excited to go home and be playing again. So I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's always cool when somebody goes back and plays. For, for home, even like the Latin guys go down and play like winter ball and stuff like yeah. that, especially if it's to end their career. <clears throat> I'm all into that. I like that stuff. Xander Bogarts, Padres, they are making a positional switch. Xander is going to move to second, and Hassan Kim is going to play short. Um, not going to lie, out on the East Coast here, I don't get a ton of Padres games, so I don't know too much about Kim's defense. From what I've read, it's elite. Yeah, very plus defender for sure. So getting him over to short and switching the two. Um, I heard an interview um, today saying that Xander's been like amazing about it. Now, obviously, they're going to say that, but hopefully that's true. And, you know, if it's all for winning, I mean, you're still going to play. You're still middle of the infield. You're going to be in the middle of that lineup. If you If you win, great, because last year... Last year, what they did yeah. wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want to talk to you. What? A little side note, I guess. The A's are trying to work out a deal to extend their lease at the Open Coliseum for 25 to 27. That's honestly, I thought about this about whatever. When it talked about um, a deal being made in Vegas and they the A's were kind of homeless for a couple of years. This is kind of what I thought. I was like, well, just make an agreement, a win-win situation. Because if they're not in there... The owners of the Coliseum aren't making any money, or the city or whoever it is aren't making any money. So you might as well yeah. take something. 
get them in there. A still have a home, let it transition. So they're not roaming around from stadium to stadium or whatever the case may be for the next, you know, couple of years, I guess three years after this year. Um, so it's kind of what I thought would happen. Now it's not, that's not written in stone or anything. It's just, they have talked. Um, so who knows what's going to happen there. I think it's smart. I, I'm going to say, and maybe not, uh, one depends if it gets fin- finalized by start of season, but, um, I think the Oakland faithful, I think, especially knowing they're losing the team, I'm going to say attendance numbers are up this year. I wouldn't doubt that, man. And I do. It's and especially the way it is, it happens all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. They know they're gone. They know they're not going to have a team down the street from them, you know, in their, uh, in their city. So I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of Oakland faithful who have been, you know, longtime fans there that are probably going to try and get as much out of it as possible. So, I mean, another three years, I don't know. I, I don't see that as a bad thing. Again, like you said, what you said is a great point, but also too, like, I, I think they'll, they'll have a little bit of a revive with um, attendance numbers, knowing that they're going to go and kind of just enjoying the last little bit of it. Um, it'd be a little weird knowing, you know, you only got three years left with, with your team, which is usually, you know, kind of a weird thing to have, but yeah. I don't know. I think it'd be smart. I agree with you. I mean, that's going to be hard. I mean, it's historically that's the franchise has been around for a long time. So losing that team is kind of a staple of the city and everything. It's definitely got to be hard, but yeah. uh, I mean, ideally they put a better product on the field to make it more enticing for people to come. That too. Yeah. I know. I was looking at their lineup again today too. And I was just shaking Yikes. my head. Yeah. Not good. Yikes. Yeah. It's going to be a long season, but maybe good for, couple of our guys. Yes, sir. Rob Manfred. This is, I felt this one really weird. He has announced that he's going to step down after his contract is done after the 2029 season. So in just a short six more years, he's going to be done. It's like... Yeah, huh? I found that weird too. Is that just letting the public know how miserable he is right now? I don't know. What are we... Like, are we... <laughs> trying to get some guilt or... or... Usually yeah, I don't it's know. like the last year... Maybe maybe year and a half into yeah, the second year before. I know. Six years, we got 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29. Six more seasons. I know. It's wild. I thought the same thing. Super weird, you know. Strange. Um, and then they, Major League Baseball said that they they would like a free agent deadline. And I think it was their proposition was to have it kind of surrounding the, the winter meetings. Um the GM meetings and everything. I think they're in December at that time and then have kind of free agency wrapped up. Interesting. I kind of like it, honestly. I like I a deadline because you, you know deals are going to get done. Um, you know, it, and also too, like I always find it weird in this case, like let's say right now of Snell, Chapman, Bell, and guys who haven't signed yet and spring training's already starting. I, I've always found that very odd of like, you know, not having a home yet. And I think that eliminates that, but also too, just it, it gives a deadline, right? It, I think it gives a lot of people front office some, um, maybe some more time off, right? You're not, you don't have to worry so much about stuff like that. I don't like care that. about them. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying though, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I mean, it's, it's usually pretty slow on the back end of free agency anyways, right? But uh, I, w- I would like to see it. So then that, whatever that day is, tune in and you know, deals are getting done. What are we going to talk about the rest of the off season though? Yeah, we, we get some break too, you know? <laughs> I think we just have to come up with something else to talk about, which might be more difficult. Yeah, that's a good point. Here's the other side of it, though. That has to be agreed upon with the Players Association, and I think you will have a very, very Strong difficult pushback. time yeah. getting that to go through unless you make some concessions somewhere else. 
Yeah. Because players aren't going to want that. No chance because then they lose leverage. Yeah, because there's yeah, there's nothing for them, right? There's no benefit for them. Zero. Absolutely yeah. zero. It forces them into signing something that they don't want to by a certain date. Yeah. There is no benefit. Mm-hmm. So unless they get something in return, I don't know how this one would ever uh, be approved. Yeah, I don't see it going through. That's um, that's pretty much going to do it for our quick hits, I think, unless you got something else that you've... No, uh, I quickly checked Twitter before here, make sure we didn't miss anything, but... Ah, the news feed that is. Yes, yes, sir. I like it. Um, yeah, so why don't we why don't we throw it to the, our, our interview with Jonah? Um, like I said, it was a it was a really good one. Missed you on it, but it was it was good just getting a little bit of insight from him and and a young young pitcher. But it was really good talking to him. So uh, we'll do that. We'll turn it over, and until next week, we'll see you then. Enjoy. As mentioned, joining us today on the pod, we've got Jonah Tong, the Mets minor league prospect. Jonah, thanks for doing this, man. Anytime. Happy to be here. Now, I've got, uh, normally we have Willow with us, but I'm flying solo today, but we're going to make it work. And I can hear you're in the hotel right now. So you're down in Florida, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a good old hotel in Port St. Lucie, so can never complain. How long have you been down? Uh, I got here middle of January, I think. So well, you've been down there a months. while. Yeah. Have you been in the hotel for the month? Yes. They put you up there, no problems. Is that when they wanted you to come down, or, or did you choose to go down there? Um, I mean, we had some camp invites that I uh, got sent out, and I mean, I obviously being from Canada, it's not the most ideal place to try to throw live or outdoors. Yeah. So I mean, I can't really complain about the opportunity. Was the off season pretty good though? So you got home for a little while. Did you? Were you able to kind of keep a routine going and everything? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much uh, a learning year last year, just trying to figure out, like, how to navigate the offseason. And then, um, I mean, like, I'm pretty fortunate that I have some of uh, our pro guys and college guys who come back. Like, I, I train with Mitchell Pratt all the time, so we kind nice. of have the same schedule. So We're asking nice on the podcast. Able. We had him on. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to be, like, on the schedule with somebody uh, and then push each other. Yeah. Now, was he able to kind of help you navigate kind of through the first off season with a throwing program or anything? Um, for sure. I think there's certain aspects where he um, helps out a lot, uh, especially just like giving me feedback and I mean, that works both ways. Um, mm-hmm. But for us, like, you know, with the Mets, we have our own um, pitching kind of schedule for each individual player. So like I kind of had that assessment going into the off season and then, right. So I had a pretty good grip on it. Nice. We'll get into that part in a second because I will talk to you about that. But, I mean, out of courtesy of Willow, I got to ask you the first question. I mean, you were drafted in seventh round of the 2022 draft. Was college ever on the radar or were you kind of both feed into the pro world? I mean, going into 22, uh, I was thinking I'm going to college. Uh, So it was just back into COVID, right? So things were starting to open up um what school was, uh north dakota state okay so way up north uh nice i had a really good relationship with uh tyler oaks which is their head coach okay. um built that connection 21's fall and then t- the start of 22 um i went down to uh the with the langley Bays to the their like arizona pro tour right and i'm like oh okay still going to college just see what i can make of this um 
this you know spring beginning of summer uh and then as the the year kind of kept going i was like maybe i could make this work like this seems like it's an opportunity uh but still always just keeping in contact with my coach and i can't wait to get on on campus and stuff like that and then um kind of when like a week or two before the draft i was kind of like oh this can kind of go somewhere where i didn't originally think Mm -hmm. um and then i mean until you hear a name called everything's kind of a blur so once i heard that i was like wow okay so we did make it work and so were you talking to many teams up to that point? I mean, seventh round is pretty respectable, man. I'm assuming that there were a few teams that had you on their radar. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I very thankful for all the area scouts I was able to talk to. It was kind of like I picked up a few here and there, um, especially like the Canadian ones at the start. And then as I went mm-hmm. to the States, um, it became a lot more prevalent. Just there's a lot more um, right. because I was going bouncing between state to state. Um, right. But no, it, it started with one, then two, and then three, and then a couple after that. And by the time I knew it, I had uh, quite, a, quite a few on my plate. And then I was kind of like, oh, it's pretty cool. So talk to me a little bit about when you thought, like you kind of mentioned that you thought something might start to happen. When did you feel like you kind of started to hit your stride as a pitcher and kind of who you are today? Um, I would say probably when we just finished the Langley trip, um, I kind of hit a really good, just feeling like I could, you know, craft was there. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like I kind of knew like what I was doing with, um, the game as a whole, especially from the pitching side. Right. Um, uh, felt like I pretty much developed everything I wanted to get done. Um, and then, yeah, I was probably in that span between like March and May where I was like, starting to pick up steam i just came off like a really good um year at the end of may um and then yeah it was probably in around that time so were you always somebody who throw through fairly hard because you i mean you've got a pretty good fastball where where are you getting that up to now what's the, uh, the highest i i know i've seen is 96 but yeah we're hoping to get that a bit and that's i mean that's pretty good now were you always were you always a hard thrower? Like, did you always throw firm even kind of, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old? Or is this something you kind of developed a little bit later? Uh, it de- definitely started developing a little bit later. Uh, I mean, I consider myself a late bloomer uh, with a lot of things. Um, well, for reference to like, let's say you're only 20 years old. You're still young. You're still growing. You're still getting stronger and everything, right? So that velo no, is probably sure. still going to improve as well. But that's, um, I mean, that fastball is pretty good. I mean, there's you got a lot of life on it. You got a lot of carry on it from what I've seen in videos and everything. But there's a lot that's made out of your curveball as well. Would you yeah. say which which is your one and which is your 1A? I'd say my fastball is probably my best pitch. Uh, okay. It's the one thing I've developed ever since I was a kid. I mean, I, I mean everyone can say that for sure. Um, but it's something I'm really confident in. Uh, and then my curveball, I mean, I try to develop it with my dad. Like, I remember, I love telling the story of like sitting in my house has like a stairwell at the very okay. bottom is like a, where like my dad's computer sits. So it would be up at like 10 to 12 at night going over like different films and like pictures that we were idolizing. And then my mom would be at the top of the stairwell saying like, he's got school tomorrow. He needs to go to bed. <laughs> um, and then 
all I would think about during school is like trying to try that with my dad when he got home from work across the street, like our little parkette. Right. Um, and then that kind of took, I think, like two years to get really comfortable with it. And then, yeah, I'd still think my fastball was my best pitch, but uh, I'm really happy with how my curveball was pitching. So who were you watching at that time? Who were you trying to model this pitch after? There, there were too many. I think anyone and everyone uh, that we could possibly think of. I mean, it started from dads like Greg Maddox, Nolan Ryan. Oh, he's going Peter old Landon. school on you. Yeah. So he said, you want to be like Maddox, but you also want to throw as hard as uh, Nolan Ryan. And I'm like, wow. So if I do that, then I'd probably be the best pitcher in the league if I did Ever that. In the world. Yeah. It, in Ever. history. I'm like, hmm, that's the goal. <laughs> but, um, hey, it's a good goal, man. I, I will say, watching your video, you look nothing like Greg Maddox. You guys it. have <laughs> different arsenals and your mechanics and everything are a lot different. Now, one guy, tell me if you watch this guy at all, because I do see similarities with this one. I, I know who you're going to talk about. I'm going with Tin Lincecum. Yes, absolutely. Um, sorry, that actually should be probably one of the first things I said. That's yeah, okay, man. That, that was the first thing when I saw you, when I saw a video, I was like, he's got a little bit of Timmy in him. Yeah, my, uh, that was another picture where my dad was like, this guy is insane. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, try, like I never used to be all the way over top. So yeah. be like more of a higher three-quarter slot. Right. And then like, as I, I started to get older, I'm like, wow, I'm really getting up. Uh, and that's always like the person that people talk to about. It's like, oh, you're like, you throw like Tim Lins again. I'm like, Thank you. It's a very good compliment. I mean, it is a it anybody, is a compliment. Yeah, anybody would want to throw like him. So. Yeah, the arm action isn't quite the same, but the position that you get your your body into, especially kind of from the waist up, you know, once you start to drive to the plate, your head kind of tilts to the side, the torso starts to contort a little bit, and the arm comes right over the top. And yeah, you've got that good fastball, you got a good curveball. And that was I saw it and I was like, Yep, there's some Timmy in there. So I, there's one one guy that I had a comp there with. Do you look a lot, here's where there's like a huge generational gap between kind of like guys my age and guys your age. There was no real data on pitches and video and all that type of thing. I can probably count on one hand the number of times that I've seen myself on video where it's almost like it's in your face constantly with numbers and probably spreadsheets and charts and everything. Are you a big data guy or no? So when I was younger, no, I was a big video guy. Um, like my dad would always set up like the camera and be like, okay, tripod, perfect set. And we'll go watch it after. Um, as I've gotten into pro ball numbers definitely are more apparent. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a big four data guy. Like if it's there, I might as well use it. Right. Um, but I'm also trying to tell myself like, it's not the do all end all because then they like the results that matter or whatever's in front of you. Right. And, right. And you tow the rubber and there's, there's a hitter in there. Um, but I would say it's beneficial. So I, I think it's, it's a really good tool to refine your craft, um, but you always need to have a sense of feel of just life without data too. So which numbers do you kind of veer towards? What do you like to look at, you know, maybe after a bullpen or a game or something like that? Um, depends on the day. So for instance, if I'm working on a new pitch, like let's say it's a slider, then I'll be looking at like horizontal and vertical. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also you can look at uh, spin axes and stuff like that to, to determine whether you're coming off the right spot. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much as far as I go into that. Um, I don't really look too much into spin. Like uh, spin efficiency is a good number. Obviously, velocity is the glorified number that everyone looks at. 
But for me, I just mainly look at like IDV and horizontal grade. Now, do you have somebody with Mets organization who kind of goes over these numbers with you or is this kind of, um, you know, on your own and, and you kind of drive that force yourself? Um, we're very fortunate to have a really good pitching department. Um, so everyone from the highest of high, uh, highest of levels all the way to the, the lower leagues is mm-hmm. pretty well versed into um, a lot of the data. Um, I mean, it just depends on who you're meeting with. So like the coach I worked with last year um, knew it inside and out. And then as you go up the levels, everybody kind of knows that as well. Was that a pitching coach that kind of knew it inside out or is it a specific data guy? Uh, both. So we like the pitching coaches do, uh, and also the data guys are there too. Um, they both work, kind of work hand in hand, um, to try to like help you navigate that stuff. Cause it's honestly, it's a lot. I'm still not even sure like what a lot of the numbers on the screen mean. Yeah. No um, kidding. Yeah. It's just insane. Like vertical approach angle, this angle, this angle, that angle, the spin tilt. And I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to be looking at here? Um, uh, but I, I'm hoping to kind of understand that a little bit more as we go, but no, there's, there's two people. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I've got many weaknesses. One of my weaknesses is understanding all the advanced data and everything, right? Before, like I had a pretty good feel for pitching and how to make adjustments and watching myself and, you know, if I'm given lessons, but the advanced data and everything, looking through the numbers, that's definitely something that I could learn from, you know, guys like you and, and other pitchers in your kind of age group. Talk to me about the, the the Mets organizational pitching philosophies. Do they have anything where they are preaching to you something that they want, you know, as a as an entire organization, what they want you guys working on? Um, and if not, then maybe like talk to me about something that they kind of preach with you. What do, what do they kind of keep harping on with you? So it's hard because uh, every pitcher is different. Um, so I would say like everybody has their own things that they need to work on. Um, as an org, we're just trying to build the best pitchers that we possibly can. Um, now I, that's that's what I know and that's what I'm doing. We were building a really good staff, uh, which I think is kind of underrated in the minor league system. Um, mm-hmm. But for me specifically, it's just, okay, looking at what I did last year, what are areas that we can kind of tweak so we, uh, for me, for instance, my walks weren't great last year. I right. openly say that I'm very frustrated about that. But um, now we look at that number and we go, okay, so how can we attack this area of your game to help you the next season? Um, for instance, whether that's something delivery focused or if that's something like pitch specific or uh, kind of goes into that. But I'd say for me, it's more just um, understanding myself a little bit more and what um, I do well and how I can go out there and perform the best as I possibly can. So is there something that they identified um, with delivery or mechanics or thought process or approach or anything to help kind of address those walks? Um, or what, or mean, what have you noticed if it's something on your own? So for me, uh, I can definitely talk about the stuff that I kind of figure out this off season. Um, it's just staying. So I have a very violent motion, kind mm-hmm. of like what Linskin had, where he right. gets super contralateral and then when he throws, it's, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts. Right. Um, so for me, like balance after that, after that point in the delivery is huge. So like throughout the off season, I was just working on like um, sticking my finish, um, so I can kind of like feel my body through my delivery, um, right. and then make adjustments as we go. Because I mean, like I remember the oldest pitching philosophy I had when I was a kid was like when you when you finish, finish directly to the plate. Right. Uh, everything's directional. Um, 
I would say that's probably like the biggest area that I've noticed and I've been working on as much as possible is to refine my delivery, especially my finish. Nice. Now, while the walk totals may have been a little escalated, the punch outs totals are ridiculously escalated. You are a huge punch out pitcher. I got you at uh, 16.3 punch outs per nine in your short career, small sample size still, but that's okay. That's just an experience and age thing. Is this a conscious thing you're doing? Is it something that the Mets want you doing, or is it just a product of your arsenal and your pitches? I, I'm going to be honest. I don't really look at them a whole lot. I mean, they're always great. Uh, it's it's a really cool number to look at. Like oh Strikeouts are sexy. I, yeah, I mean, I, I would never know. I was a strikeout guy. Hey, that's, that's I was a ground ball guy. Ground balls aren't as sexy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. It's obviously like if I can keep that up, absolutely. And I um, intend to just do what I know I've been doing, be myself out there. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, it's like, the walk number is also something I'm just keeping a conscious eye on um, and trying to lower that. But mm -hmm. no, I don't, there's nothing specific like, oh, you're going to go out there and you're going to punch out 27 guys in nine innings. It's just more like go out there, be you, um, find, find spots where you can get outs. And if it's punch outs, great. If it's not, it's also great. Outs are outs. We'll, we'll outs take them Now you've got mostly, most of your appearances have been starts. You've got a couple, looks like out of the bullpen. You prefer starting? Uh, absolutely, uh, but I mean, I'll do anything for the team. Of course, <laughs> uh, I think I think everybody can kind of agree with this. As a starter, like you, you're able to pace yourself. So, like I know from this time to this time, I do my warm up, and then at this mm -hmm. time is when I kind of need to get my throwing started, and then I'll have X amount of time before I go in the game. For instance, like I like a little bit more time before I start. Uh, at least, sorry, when like you when you go out. Right. Um, so I can think of like two or three minutes just to catch my breath. So then I'll work backwards from that. Like, okay, yep. throwing takes this. Uh, but as a reliever, it's a little bit different. Uh, in the few amount of relieving appearances I've done uh, last year, it was definitely a little more on the difficult side just to mm -hmm. try to originally understand like how to properly time everything because you do throw ahead of time. It's not like you, you can just start right and put it in there. Uh, but we're going to have to adapt to anything. Really, so. Yeah, whatever they want you to do. But they, I mean, sure. the good thing is, you know, I'm looking at these numbers and if, if I've got somebody, if I'm a GM or a coach or anything or manager, and I've got somebody in my organization standing in front of me who has the ability to strike out the side, that's pretty, um, that's, a, that's a great advantage. And that's a huge benefit to bring somebody like that out of the bullpen late in the game, right? But at the same point, yeah, if you're comfortable starting, you like starting and you can do that. You now it's kind of the best of both worlds to kind of just keep going and then where, you know, the chips will fall where they may. And one of them will rise to the top, but, I, you know, I was always a starter too, but I didn't have the benefit of what you have in this, the punch out pitch. Nobody's going to bring in a ground ball pitcher who's getting the ball in play more often than not late in the game. So you've got that so keep punching tickets man and like I said they're they're always fun too and everything right now switching gears here a little bit you're you're known as a really hard worker where did that work ethic kind of come from is that something you developed or is, have you always been like that is that a family thing like talk to me about why you work so hard um that's a family thing for sure i mean both my parents played sports so they kind of know it takes to kind of like manage that with your day-to-day -day lives and they played at a pretty high level i'm not exactly sure which 
kind of makes me a bad son for that. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll ask you the last one later. Um, yeah, I'd say the brunt of it came from my dad. Uh, my dad's a very competitive guy. Uh, I mean, he'd be the first one to tell you that, uh, which mm-hmm. is why we're kind of excited to see like what our grandkids are going to like this, like that. Right on. Um, so he kind of instilled in us like, okay, if this is what your dream is, what are you going to do to go get it? Um, and I mean, that started from school to baseball to just everyday life. It's like nothing ever, nothing's going to be a handout for you. So you got to make the most of your opportunities. Uh, and then I followed suit with my sisters. My sisters both played high-level sports. Uh, my oldest sister played high school baseball as a catcher. And then my second eldest sister played um, gymnastics at Central Michigan. And then for a long time when she was in high school, she played soccer too. So I mean, looking at both of them, like, okay, like I want to do what they do as well Mm -hmm. uh, from the athletic standpoint. So it's like, okay, what I'm going to have to do to, to match their level of athleticism. And I can say I've gotten close to my sisters, but I would still think my middle sister is uh, probably the best athlete in the family. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, I can't say I'd ever be a good gymnast. Uh, you know, I'm, I can never say that. So. How's your mobility? Is it pretty good? I mean, I'd like to say it's good, but any time that she's there, she just embarrasses me, which is just – there's nothing I can do. I just dip my hat. It sounds like you've got some teammates in the background there. Yeah, they're just coming from dinner. I think it looks like – I hear some, some Spanish, I think. Yeah. Uh, are, you, yeah. are you learning any? I've tried. I know a lot of the bad words. <laughs> it's um, always the first ones you'll get. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, what are they saying? It's like, Jonah, you don't want to. Like, okay. I remember when I first got picked up by the Giants, and I'm, I'm in, I think uh, I was in high A, kind of get sent there, and I had a Korean teammate. And we're doing the bucket together, and he's dropping Spanish. And I was like, man, you speak Spanish? He was like, yeah, I've learned a little bit and this and that. Years down the road, I kind of find out and learn that the only words that he knew were all the swear words and all the bad words and everything. That's just the way it was, right? But I knew absolutely nothing. So I thought this guy was like trilingual, English, Spanish, Korea. But no, he just knew the swear words. So yeah, that's the way it is. But learn some Spanish if you can, because it's a huge asset, man. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I learned a little bit playing winter ball and I can kind of get by a little bit now, but uh, definitely an asset as a pro ball player. If I knew earlier, I would have taken some classes. For sure. Uh, Sidetrack right there. It's it's a great it's a great language. I we just came back from a Dominican trip early in okay. January, so we got to like experience like the Dominican context and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow. So I try to pick up a few few phrases from there, and then I lost them automatically. But it's hopefully. a huge benefit, man. It's a yeah. huge asset. It's uh, I I love the language actually, and and uh, if I could speak it more fluently, I would. Question then about your talk about your sisters. Are you the youngest? Yes. Okay. This is awesome because I had a theory because I looked at, I mean, the first thing when I'm going to interview somebody is I look at the baseball reference page. That's the gimme. One of the first things I notice is you have four middle names and I'm sitting there going, he's got to be the youngest. His parents knew you were the last, you were the last one. They liked a bunch of names. So they just threw them all at you and they're all on the birth certificate. That's my theory. Oh, Hey, you're not very wrong. Um, (laughs) So Gosh. Okay, so I am Chinese. My dad's side is Chinese. My mom's side's um, more of the European background, so Irish, right. German, Scottish. Okay. Um, so I have to have a Chinese middle name. It's just part of our uh, part of my 
history. Um, right. So my grandparents pick out Tinchi. Okay. My mom. No, uh, okay. This is the this is the ignorance of me. Is is that one middle name or is that two? Because on paper it looks like two. Uh, on paper, it's Tinchi. Uh, on my government forms, they get, they hyphened it because I think they thought it was okay. Like, Haha. But okay, no, it's supposed to be Tinchi, which means um, I think Dove. I'm not mistaken. Okay, cool. Um, my grandma, I think, picked that out. Very um, cool. I and like then that. Reed comes from my mom's grandmother because she okay. passed passed away the t- around the time that I was born. Right. Then Matthew's my mom's last name, and then Tom is obviously my dad's. Uh, and then originally, while they're naming me, my mom was a huge uh, 49ers fan. Okay. <laughs> specifically joe montana okay uh, so my eldest sister's name's montana nice and my mom originally wanted to call me joe and my dad said hell no um that is not happening you have to pick something else so she oh, he should have said nah he should have been like we want to name you nah or she want to name you joe and he was like nah be like jonah maybe uh, i like it. i know my my mom was like hmm, how can i how can i get around this so she said uh jonah and every time she'll call me around the house be like joe Oh, nice man i like it so yeah my theory wasn't too far off no i mean i that's impressive you try, you try spelling that as like a three-year-old and, oh. well i was thinking about it with like the new major league baseball jerseys and everything like that and if you ended up having to have like you know hyphenated names or whatever on your jersey how far around that would wrap right see actually that's pretty funny because today i was talking to um, calvin about that i was like ziegler yeah yeah. Nice. I was talking about that. I'm like, hmm, how long do you think that the clubbies could put my last name on there? I wonder if it would like wrap around with the New Jersey. Are you going to hyphenate it? Maybe for like a players weekend thing, but I don't think they'd let me. I think that's just way too long. They look at how you're funny. You get but, to the big leagues and you, you can start to call the shots of what's on your jersey. It's a good point. I should ask about that. I like it. Do you play any other sports growing up? I, I watched an interview that you did, uh, I guess, last year it was, and, and you kind of said you didn't play hockey, but you went and watched a hockey game, and you absolutely loved it. Now you're a hockey fan. But yes. did you play anything else? Uh, so I played a little bit of volleyball in my public school and then early high school. Um, but going into high school, I was 4'8", so that probably wasn't going to stick. <laughs> so I kind of cut my losses. Better there. be a good setter, man. Yeah, I, hey, I was, I was, I had good hands in the for the court, but it just got to the point where I'm like, I'm not doing this. Um, yeah, no, I mean, one sport I kind of wish I did when I was younger was hockey. Um, like my girlfriend plays hockey; she plays at uh, Toronto Metropolitan, and every time she's on the ice, I'm like, this seems like so much fun. But the problem is, I can't stop. But who needs to stop when you're skating, right? Like it's the I well, crashing the boards. I, 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 I tell a story where somebody that you at least have run into, because he used to play for the Toronto Mets as well as Denzel Clark. Mm-hmm. And I used to teach Dens and I took my class out on the ice one time. It was like a coaching and leadership thing. Well, my whole class was hockey and lacrosse players, so they can all skate. But then there was Denzy. And so he didn't do any of the coaching or anything. I just got him out on the ice and he was like Bambi on skates, man. So he was kind of, and, but then he started going a little bit, but then the dreaded stopping. So he just kind of tried to do like the U-turn and kind of turn somewhat sharpish or like you said, run into the boards, right? That's always the way. But man, what a, I'm, I'm so pumped that you kind of are skating and everything now and, and kind of love hockey. Are you an Austin Matthews fan? Do you have a guy? No. I mean, I'm a, 
I'm a newly found Leafs fan. Like my girlfriend took me to a game for, um, I, I think her, fam- I heard one of her family friends had tickets. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, hockey game, how good could this be? Coolest environment ever. Yeah. Like probably arguably one of the coolest sports to watch in person. Um, right. Don't have a specific fan or like favorite player yet, but I mean, I guess I'm starting to be one of those Leafs fans who are Leafs forever is my new I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe they'll win a, a Stanley Cup in your lifetime. Hopefully mine as well. I'm not that saying. old yet. That's what I'm saying. Hopefully. It's about time, man. <clears throat> a couple more questions for you then. Wondering if you kind of, with that work ethic, and I, I think I know the answer based on our conversation today, like, do you have, are you a goal setter? Do you have goals set in mind for yourself, whether short term or long term? Or or you just kind of, you just work hard and, and you know, let everything kind of happen? Um, absolutely. I think... I have a lot of short-term and long-term goals. Um, Obviously making big leagues. For sure. Um, and win Cy Young's, be a Hall of Famer. Love it. Win a lot of World Series, great team, stuff like that. Um, I mean, season by season is just how can I develop is like my short-term goal. is like each year, did I get better? Did I improve some aspect of my game? Um, whether that be on the field or off the field. I mean, the number one thing you can do is just be a good person. Um, I think that's something that we all can kind of be. I mean, it's not hard. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I I do set a lot of short-term and long-term goals. Um, Nothing, like, in specific. For instance, if it's like, oh, I'm going to get this pitch this year. Or by year two, I want to be like this, for instance. It's just more like whatever I can really think of at the time write it down or make a mental note and then try to achieve it as hard as I possibly can. So then last question, how do you improve from last year to this year? What is the goal? I don't want to say what is the goal, like where are you going to be level or anything like that, but what are you working on? We've talked about the walks, but what else is going to take you to that next level and get you to the big leagues? I think the biggest thing for me is just having confidence in my ability. Uh, I think there's a lot of times, especially just getting acclimated to pro ball, it's like, you know, certain things were like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, okay, what got me here? Mm-hmm. Uh, play to my strengths. Uh, I mean, for sure, trying to get that walk rate down, which I'm more than confident I'm able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I can do that, when I do that this year, not if, when, um, I'm going to be in a better spot uh, than I already was in last year. Uh, and, I mean, the game plays itself. Like, you could be the best pitcher in the world and, at the end of the day, it's what happens on the field. Everything's kind of luck-based based on the hitters. But um, if I can just go out there and do my game, you know, just be me, I think I'm going to be pretty successful. You know, when we talk, uh, when we've talked to a lot of guys lately, and that seems to be a common theme, right? There's always people who try to, you know, work towards the opponent's weakness. But ultimately, you're going to perform best when you end up going to your strengths. What got you there? Why are you a professional player today? Don't really deviate too much from that. Always play to your strengths, right? So it's always a great message we like to talk about with kids and everything like that. And definitely somebody who's kind of working their way through the minor league system right now. Pitch to your strengths, man. You've got some good stuff happening here and just keep okay. going. Yeah, No, for sure. And I think that's like one of the things where it's just um, like you can get all the information on the batters and all that stuff, but they have the exact same thing on you, right? It's yeah. not, you know, there's nothing different. Um, and as you go up levels, it's just going to get harder and harder. Um, so just relying on you. One thing we got to remember as pitchers that hitting is really, really hard, man. For sure. For I can sure. tell you what's coming, but it doesn't mean you're going to have success. 
Absolutely. With a 96 mile an hour fastball and a massive curveball and 16 punch outs per nine, you're making it hard on hitters, man. Dude, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for doing this. This is awesome. Really do appreciate it. We should uh, do a follow-up after the year and we can talk about how well the year went. How's that sound? Perfect. Go hang out with your Latin uh, teammates there. Go say buenas noches to them and uh, thanks for having them or thank them for having for joining us in the interview today. I will. I will. If you liked the podcast, if you liked the interview and everything else, hit the subscribe button so you're notified of when we uh, upload a new a new episode. And until then, that is from Jonah and I and the rest of the Apo Taco team. Apo Taco out. <laughs> <laughs>